It's back to the future with the return of a national party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Warning, this episode contains graphic content and references to sexual abuse. Help is available. See the episode notes for details. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called Dilworth's Internal Memos by senior reporter Edward Gay. It's about a survivor of sexual abuse at the Dilworth School in Auckland and how they discovered the truth about their experiences. The story was originally published in 2022. Now, usually on the long read, the host asks the author of the featured story to talk about it. This week, we're doing something a bit different. The survivor wanted to explain why they had spoken to Edward, and we wanted them to feel heard, so we said yes. Before we continue, a legal note. The survivor has name suppression, and we've disguised their voice here to protect their anonymity. But the story refers to them as Hector, so here's Edward talking to Hector. Hector, what motivated you to share your story with me? It was about two years into, well, it was about a year into the inquiry, uh, not the inquiry, Operation Beverly. I think it was even before Harlow, my abuser, had been convicted. And I was starting to get an idea of the scope of the whole mess, the whole do with mess, not just me, but the other guys involved. And I realized that I had been silenced and swept under a carpet. I was buried so completely that the police actually called me after the whole announcement that there was a big inquiry, that there was a big problem at the school, public type things. And when that might not be sound a big thing, but my headmaster and my deputy headmaster and the chairman of the trust board all knew my name, had discussed me. I had already known that from the time I was 16 or 17. And then the fact that they didn't bother to contact me before it just made me incredibly angry. And then I started looking at the announcements from Dilworth and Aaron Snodgrass and things. And I also realized that the school still had and still does to this day its major motivation in this whole process is damage control and reputation mending rather than dealing with the issues and making up for what they've done to me and at least 135 other guys. So yeah, that's it. That's why I started. I had also been getting into true crime, a lot of feminist-driven true crime, lots of sexual violence survivors and I noted a lot of the people involved both male female and non-binary the people that found their voice and started speaking out and making a fuss it helped them and it not only helped them but it helps others not feel so alone and so isolated when you realize that it's not just you that there are other people out there there's a comfort in that and I saw many, many great examples of finding what justice you can. And I decided I wanted a piece of that for myself. You'd already told your story to police detectives and delivered a victim impact statement in court before talking to me. How did those experiences differ? It was a lot kinder for a start. 
one thing that I'll say about the New Zealand justice system is that it's a cruel, bleak place populated by actual people that care. The people inside are, are really lovely, but the actual system itself is pretty cruel and uncaring. And, yeah, dealing with yourself and media, it's just helped me talk about things a lot better, get my brain into gear and get it all streamlined. And yeah, it was actually really good. It was almost like talking with you was almost like it wasn't almost, it was a cathartic vent, especially after what well, I think we spoke the day of sentencing of Harlow. We spoke on the day, we spoke leading up to it. And the more recently, the parole hearing as well just helped me not feel not so alone in it all. And yeah, it gave me a very good platform in which to speak and get my point across. Because one of the things that does annoy me about the justice system is that it silences us a lot. Doesn't do much in the way of reporting and things that's left up to you, people like you. So stuff and yourself especially have helped make me feel a lot bigger entity in this whole process than I was previously and I'm really grateful for that. Oh thanks mate. I mean this story was published before the independent inquiry released its damning findings in September 2023 but what are your reflections on the findings? I can't tell you the shock that I had when I read those. It was actually quite an easy process getting my school file from from Dilworth. The new headmaster, Mr. Redlex, and his office staff handled it. They were really good about it, made it really easy. Took a bit. I was a bit taken aback when they told me that they didn't have room to email it. They had to send it to me on a USB stick. And I remember that I came home from work one day, it was sitting in my mailbox, Plugged it into my PC. It all seemed fairly humdrum, da da da. And then, probably excuse the expression, but I fully understood the for the first time in my life the expression "shit or go blind." I'm just sitting there reading it all, and I can't tell you how much that broke my heart. A lot of um, veils went down and started to see things for what the, for what it was, this huge, not just me, but all the others, that this just didn't happen just to me, this cover-up, but it happened to every guy. They must have had this pretty much the same conversation with just about every guy over there. And then reading in the inquiry that during Wilton's time that there were 89 of us just during his, his time as headmaster. So they had that conversation at least 89 odd times maybe you know and when you think about it in those sorts of terms it just really brings your whole world down after i read that and i digested it for a couple of days i got in contact with the uh, class action lawyers and told them what was in my file and they went that's really interesting probably a kind of an understatement for me and then um met with you i think you probably remember i was pretty reticent with you for the first for the first bit while i sussed you out but well it's like one thing man talking to men about this stuff is just really really hard my 
faith in my gender has just been shaken to its to its core over for many different reasons, as you can imagine, over the last thirty years. So yeah, it was like trust is another thing. Then we started talking, and yeah, we got it done. Those internal memos. I'm really glad that they had the arrogance to put them in my file, thinking that the no one else but them would see it uh, and then forget about it. I'm really glad that happened, but it also makes me wonder if they could forget about some a conversation like that and just how much more of that sort of information is out there that they had. Hector, again, thanks for talking to me. Yes, thanks for what must be an extremely painful thing to revisit. Now, here is Edward Gay reading his story, Dilworth's Internal Memos. Internal Memos reveal senior Dilworth school administrators knew in the 1990s that staff had sexually abused boys and that the abuse would continue. Hector, a survivor of sexual abuse at the school, has recently obtained his Dilworth school file. Included in the tranche of documents was a series of memos written by senior Dilworth staff and the school's trust board chairperson after Hector's family asked the school for help. The plea from the family was forwarded by the headmaster and his deputy to the school's trust board chairperson Derek Firth in early 1996. Part of Firth's response addresses the issue of staff sexually abusing boys. He said, bearing in mind that most of these instances, if not all, have occurred with various previous staff members who we never thought would do a thing like this, we must assume as a statistical probability it will happen again and again, despite our best efforts to the contrary. Firth asked Murray Wilton, the headmaster at the time, if all staff were aware the board had an official policy to refer complaints of sexual abuse to the police. Wilton said, if not, this should probably be conveyed in an appropriate way. Firth did not offer any other solution in his memo. Hector describes the response as blasé and cynical. It's almost sociopathic, detached from humanity, he says. At the very least, investigate your hiring practices. Hector says the school was only ever concerned with its reputation, not the welfare of students. Hector says they knew that I had been abused, they knew that there were other kids that had been abused, and they knew there were other offenders. Stuff knows of seven staff members and volunteers who sexually abused boys before Firth wrote his memo in 1996. At least two others were still at the school and abusing boys at the time. They include the school's chaplain, Father Ross Douglas Brown, who sexually abused 14 boys and encouraged students to masturbate in class. Ian Robert Wilson was assistant principal in 1996 and used his senior position to sexually abuse boys. It would be a further 25 years before the extent of Wilson and Brown's sexual offending was finally revealed. Both are now in prison. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. 
Cleary and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like many of his classmates at Dilworth, Hector had a rough start in life. Documents on his school file show Hector was a boy when his father abandoned the family to live with his secretary. Hector's mother was caring for three children on her own. Her stress increased when a workplace back injury left her a sickness beneficiary. Hector recalls spending his time reading books and playing with the local boys in the street. It was about making sure mum didn't get mad at us, he says. A church friend told Hector's mother about Dilworth, and she applied. Dilworth School offers full scholarships to boys from single-parent homes and troubled backgrounds. Everything from education, board, school uniform, shoes and haircuts was included. Hector's school file shows the amount of scrutiny the school applied to applications in 1988, as well as a breakdown of his mother's assets, including her 13-year-old car, an administrator graded her on her appearance and attitude. Dilworth administrators pored over Hector's past school reports. They assessed his attitude and how he dressed. At 10 years old, Hector had a reading age of over 12. Headmaster Wilson found him to be a good average candidate, and he was accepted. Hector settled into boarding school at Dilworth. His school reports show he achieved good academic results, despite being bullied and not getting on with classmates. Hector says, I came from an angry household where things were either yell or hit. That's how I reacted a lot, especially to my peers when the bullying stuff came along. Hector's problems were compounded when he was caught stealing. The school sent him to counselling, but the thieving continued. His light fingers did not endear him to his classmates. He would often seek refuge in the office of Bruce Owen, the deputy principal. Then another staff member started paying him attention. Assistant housemaster Alistair Harlow was an accountant by trade. The 32-year-old lived in Auckland but also owned a patch of bush up at Whangarei Heads. The school gave Harlow permission to take one or two boys up to stay in his cabin and help clear scrub on the weekends. As an adult now, it's almost unthinkable that something like that was allowed to happen, Hector says. But that was the thing about that school, it was just its own little world. Hector was what is known as a country boy. His mother lived too far from Auckland for him to go home at weekends. The dozen or so trips up north with Harlow were a welcome break from the monotony of school life. I latched on to anybody that showed me any kindness back in those days, Hector says. Hector recalls around this time his mother attended a Sunday chapel service at Dilworth. Afterwards, she sought out Harlow to thank him for showing an interest in her son. Hector says, He looked like a deer in headlights and pretty much ran away. It could have been Harlow's guilty conscience. Court documents seen by stuff show that Harlow took Hector north on the weekend in mid-1992. 
At night, the pair bedded down on foam mattresses on the floor of the cabin to sleep. Harlow sexually abused Hector. He admitted abusing Hector and three other boys and was sentenced to three years and eight months in prison in May 2022. Hector told no one of the abuse. He stopped asking Harlow to take him up north and Harlow stopped offering. But his stealing continued. One afternoon, he decided to break into the scout tuck shop. He had to do a bit of ninjaing, which involved sneaking out of the dormitory and into the iconic brick A-frame building, the school's main administration block. As he slipped past Father Ross Brown's office, he heard a cough and hid behind curtains in a nearby classroom. From his position, Hector saw a young boy emerge from Brown's office with his head bowed. At the time, Hector didn't know what had happened, but he knew something was wrong. Hector was later caught with tools and stolen sweets in a school bag. It was the beginning of the end of his time at Dilworth. Hector says no one got expelled from Dilworth, but he was told he had to leave. In 1995, a Dilworth boy went to police and laid a complaint against Harlow. A memo from Dilworth's Deputy Principal Bruce Owen shows the boy named Hector as another potential survivor. The police tracked Hector down. He was living with his father and stepmother at the time. Hector gave details of the abuse, but his life was in a mess. He didn't have strong family support and wasn't in a position to be part of a criminal prosecution. Harlow was convicted. Owen reported in his memo that the former assistant housemaster received a hefty fine of $3,000 and a lump of community service. Hector describes the sentence as weak. Like Brown and Wilson, the true extent of Harlow's offending would not be revealed for years. While Harlow was able to continue working as an accountant, Hector's life was in disarray as he bounced between the homes of his father and mother, neither of whom really wanted him. Hector was supposed to begin his sixth form in 1996. His stepfather contacted Dilworth's deputy principal Bruce Owen, asking for help. Owen later recounted the phone conversation for Headmaster Wilton in a memo, which was added to Hector's school file. Owen said the stepfather wasn't sure if Hector wanted to speak to the police again. He said, In view of the trauma for the victim that goes with court cases, I wonder whether pursuing that line is helpful to Hector, the memo stated. Hector says he never spoke to his stepfather of the abuse. He believes his stepfather may have mentioned other boys as leverage to convince the school to take him back. The other boys would only emerge in 2020, following the recent police investigation. But Hector says the school could have helped police identify the boys back in 1996. He says every boy who left school grounds had to tell staff where they were going, who they were with, and when they would return. So if they wanted to check, all they had to do was go through the logbook, Hector says. He says Owen and Wilton knew there were a group of boys who had gone north with Harlow, Owen states as much in his memo. But there is no mention in the memos of anything being done to identify them and find out if they too had been abused. Instead, Owen's memo focuses on Hector's situation. 
He describes the boy as being in limbo. His mother and stepfather were at their wit's end and asked Owen if Hector could return to Dilworth. Correspondence school is not the best alternative for a screwed up kid, Owen wrote to Wilton. Owen told the headmaster the school had some moral responsibility to help. His proposed options included allowing Hector to return to Dilworth or supporting him in enrolling in another boarding school. Owen's memo said, The last option is to say that he left us under a cloud. We did all we can. He did not respond. Too bad. Owen reminded his superior Hector had been caught stealing and that he had been persecuted by some of his peers. He said, In hindsight, he was showing all the characteristics of a sexually abused person. Wilton forwarded Owen's memo to Trust Board Chairperson Derek Firth, adding his own opinion that Hector was a problem boy and should not be allowed to return under any circumstances. Wilton said, We may have to agree to some moral obligation to the boy and his family, however. He suggested the board help Hector find another school and contribute half his boarding costs, as well as $1,000 to counselling. Firth agreed and suggested the school's lawyer should look over the proposal. He then made his comments about the abuse happening again and again, despite best efforts. But Hector had no desire to return to Dilworth or any other school. Two months later, he was enrolled in a trade apprenticeship and tech course. In the end, Dilworth's only help came in the form of a $1,000 check for his tools. There was no contribution to his fees of $7,800. In the letter that accompanies the check, Owen describes it as a one-off grant and asks Hector to write to Firth to say thank you. Hector says, It was pretty token, especially for a school that has over a billion dollars in assets. He felt no gratitude to the school and did not write to Firth. Stuff has approached Firth, Wilton and Owen. They all declined to comment. Hector recalls a sermon delivered by Wilton at a Sunday chapel service when he was a boy. Addressing the Dilworth congregation, Hector says Wilton told the boys to imagine their honour and integrity as a jug of fine wine. He warned the boys that if even a thimble of poison, a metaphor for sinful deeds, was added to the jug, the wine would be spoiled. Hector says Wilton intended the parable as a lesson for the boys, but the school and its leadership has failed to live up to it. He says, The biggest responsibility they had as teachers, as leaders of a boys' boarding school, was to keep us safe, and they failed to do so on so many levels. Today on Newsable, it's back to the future with the return of a national party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? Plus, why are we all so obsessed with the TV show Baby Reindeer and its Eurovision finals weekend? And there are some absolute bops you simply must hear. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. In 1979, the school received complaints about teacher and housemaster Rex McIntosh parading naked in the dormitory and spending time in the boys' communal showers. 
McIntosh was allowed to resign and continued teaching at other schools for three decades. Over 20 years later, there were complaints about Father Ross Brown. He too was allowed to resign and went on to become the Reverend at St Luke's Church in Manurewa. Dilworth failed to report the men to police. It would be decades before they were charged with multiple counts of child sex abuse. Brown pleaded guilty while McIntosh died before his day in court. Unlike some survivors, Hector doesn't want the school closed. He says it continues to provide boys with an education and opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. But he says the school failed in its duty of care to him. It failed other boys before him, and it has failed others since. Despite Firth's stated school policy of referring complaints to the police, the Brown and McIntosh cases show it was not always adhered to. It is those failures and the employment of at least 11 child sex offenders over the years that has destroyed Hector's faith in the school. Hector says, They treated our abusers better than they treated us. I know that was because they were trying to protect Dilworth's reputation, but it essentially meant the same thing. The school was definitely more important than the boys that went there. He says Dilworth has become the poison jug of wine. Hector says, they need to pour out the whole jug and start again. Stuff sought comment from Dilworth School. The school did not respond. That was Dilworth's internal memos on the long read from Stuff, written and read by Edward Gay and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by John Robbiehart. If you listen via the Stuff website, you can hear more stories like this on the Long Read podcast. It's available on all the usual platforms. And if you follow the show, you'll get new episodes instantly and automatically. Thanks for listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.